Welcome to In Your Area. This episode features a conversation between Tina Varghese and Jolene Ledeen Reimer, Associate Broker at Royal LePage and Brooks. Tina is an Indo-Canadian, the daughter of first-generation East Indian parents. She spent 15 years working in Alberta's immigration office, which parlayed into a prestigious career as a Canadian speaker on topics related to culture and diversity in the workplace. Tina was named one of Canada's top 10 notable speakers and is a sought-after cross-cultural communication expert. Today, Tina takes the time to chat with Jolene about diversity in Alberta, what realtors can do to create a more positive experience for clients when English is not their first language, and how to invest your time and dollars wisely to market yourself within a specific cultural community. Tina further explains the concept of cultural collectivism and breaks down the do's and don'ts when negotiating and interacting with people from certain backgrounds. We hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Jolene Ladine Reimer. Um, I am a director on the uh, Alberta Real Estate Association uh, Board of Directors, and I'm also an associate broker um, with Royal Page Community Realty. I work in uh, Brooks and cover the county of Newell. Home for me is Visano, and this corner of Alberta is a, a pretty interesting, diverse place. So I'm really excited to get to talk to Tina about it today. So good afternoon, Tina. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Tina Varagis. I am not a realtor. I am a professional speaker and trainer based out of Calgary. However, I speak uh, internationally, both in Canada and the U.S. Interestingly enough, I got my uh, start in the professional speaking field because of the Alberta Real Estate Association and specifically Bill Fowler. When he worked with the Alberta Real Estate Association, he saw a potential need for realtors to understand how to navigate the multicultural market and some of the um, culturally diverse clients in real estate with such an increasing demographic in Alberta. And it was because of uh, his relationship and my expertise. I, I, I used to work with the Alberta government in immigration and Bill came as a rep with the Alberta Real Estate Association during one of our trade missions. And that's how we met. And from there, uh, that relationship grew. And he is quite frankly, the reason I got into public speaking. Well, that's a great story, Tina. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I got to thank you. You kept me employed. <laughs> well, it's fun to reconnect. I really enjoyed attending uh, one of the workshops that you did with our local real estate board. Uh, Tina and I just determined that it was back in 2009. And I know. A lot, a lot has changed um, since then. And, and uh, so I'm looking forward to, to hearing more about wh what's happened in 11 years of talking about diversity and inclusion. So Quite a I bit. Good, good. Quite a bit since 2009. I, I, have, I have some questions. So maybe um, we can start with that. Tina, how can we evaluate whether we have a positive and inclusive real estate business culture, like within our different service areas or our real estate boards, and even within our brokerages? So when you're looking at diversity, you're not just looking at the cultural diversity piece, you're looking at gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, age, weight. Uh, it's really about even uh, disability when it comes to emotional and, and physical disability. So it's a whole gamut when we're looking at disability and recognize that, you know, the more diversity that you have within organizations, it's more reflective of who your clients and customers are. And so really just looking around you and getting to know who you are currently working with and looking at, at, at sort of those 
those gaps as well so that you're well represented because we all can learn something from one another. Everybody has a story. And so just looking at, at who who's around you both internally, but also externally and, and making sure that, you know, surrounding yourself with as much of a diverse audience as possible um, can be very beneficial. What can brokerages do to support diversity and inclusion within their brokerages? Like if I, if I'm looking around and I'm not seeing that, you know, that, that diversity that we talked about, what, what can we do to further support that? You know, even calling it out, not necessarily in, a, in an accusatory way, but rather in more of a reflective way will really assist. Um, you know, I have to say I speak to companies, organizations all over Canada, and sometimes I will notice that, you know, there maybe isn't as many females in leadership positions, or maybe there isn't as many visible minorities, um, you know, even from a generational perspective, we really want to be cultivating, you know, those millennials, etc. So just making sure that people are aware of the demographic that they're currently working with, and, and, and not in an accusatory way, but just making sure that people understand that there is maybe gaps and maybe improvements that could be um, utilized. And, and how do we how do we address those gaps? Like, what what kinds of steps can we make to to make those improvements? So I think if you first of all recognize, you know, recognize that the gaps are are potentially there is is key. So if you know it's if you look at your own, um, we'll use real estate as the example. If you're looking at your own real estate office and it looks very homogenous, you look around and it, you know it's kind of a sea of white. Well, maybe you already know that there's a gap. When you're looking at even from a cultural diversity perspective, in Canada we're looking at 20 percent of our population is foreign born. But when we look at Alberta in our major city centers, so Calgary is as about 25, 26% foreign born. Edmonton's about 24%. Of course, in your community of Brooks, Alberta, it's through the roof in terms of, of diversity. So you really want to make sure that you're representative of some of those communities, but at least in touch with those communities, making sure that you really understand what some of those cultural differences are, particularly if you want to start growing that market, because that market is only going to increase with time. If you look at other city centers in, in Canada, in, in Vancouver, it's well over uh, well over 50% is actually foreign born. So there is huge potential in this area. And, and it's really recognizing that that this demographic is only going to increase. So the more cultural competence you have, most likely you will be able to make much more impact in the sector. I like the way when um, you, you uh, talked about cultural competence. So that makes me think a little bit about um, how to prepare to meet new clients for the first time. What are some things that I can do to help me to have a successful new client meeting? So I think coming in without assumption, I, a lot of uh, it's so easy to assume people might be rude or disruptive or cheap. And these are all things I've heard from doing a lot of training in the real estate industry. So coming in from a very unfiltered perspective and people assume that certain ethnicities might, you know, be uh, interruptive or might be dismissed or might be uh, rude or might be, you know, 
cheap, quite frankly. And sometimes it's really coming from an understanding of how people navigate within the countries that they came from. So for example, obviously, I've heard of negotiations being a huge component of the real estate industry when you're negotiating. We need to recognize in Canada, we are ultimately a non-negotiating country. Meaning if I was to go to Walmart, I'm not going to go to the Tupperware manager and say, you know, I really only want to spend $8 on this pack of Tupperware versus, you know, the listed price of 10. Most likely we're not going to go into (laughs) Walmart and, and try to negotiate. Whereas the whole concept of time is money, that is a North American concept. And other countries, they negotiate because it's part of the culture. So, you know, when you feel frustrated as a realtor, because you're having to negotiate in an aggressive manner to the point where you're walking away from the from the deal, recognize part of that relationship building and the negotiating is part of the culture. And the most successful realtors I've seen are the ones that recognize that the, the top source immigrant countries coming in right now to Alberta, are India, China, Pakistan, Philippines, and now we're seeing some prevalence from Korea and Syria. All of those cultures are collectivist in nature, meaning collectivists are family-oriented, community-oriented, and referral and repeat customer-oriented, meaning that we are, are in Canada very individualistic. It's not a negative, but what that means is that we look at our own achievements, our own accomplishments, our own goals. We don't necessarily uh, relate to being part of a community, part of our family. You can even see it in the the houses that are being sold to certain demographics. You know, the the thought of of, um, now I'm seeing in Calgary two main bedrooms because you're going to have two generations living in those bedrooms. So you're going to see those prevalence and how important family is. But the beauty of that is then you also see how important relationships are with collectivists. And that's why some realtors do really well because they cultivate those relationships. So they know that those family members are going to be referring you continually, that this isn't just a one time sale, that this is going to be something that you can grow continually within your business. So that's what they recognize. They recognize the difference when it comes to to dealing with collectivists and individualists and how important that relationship is. And so that's why the negotiation process is so very important because it's not about being cheap. It's about to see how far are you willing to go to show me that we have a strong relationship. That's a really interesting way of looking at things and it makes a lot of sense. So sometimes when um, I'm conducting business in English, which is my first language, um, it may pose some challenges for clients for whom it's their second or third or fourth language. And I'm never sure how the best way to approach um, working with translators is I want to be able to offer something that is supportive to my clients. And I also want people to feel that I'm not trying to influence what they're hearing and create trust and rapport. So do you have some suggestions for me to how to work with translators well in those circumstances? So most realtors, I know that you're in Brooks, and so you definitely have a much more culturally diverse population than the rest of Alberta. But most realtors probably wouldn't even have access to translators. And you don't necessarily, most people that are coming in as new immigrants, and where my background lies is I used to manage the immigration office for the province of Alberta. That's how I got into this field. And 
recognize that most new immigrants coming in have a pretty strong understanding of English, particularly in the written form. They usually have a strong understanding of, of the verbal form as well. However, it's really the accents that we struggle with. So recognize too, if you feel someone's strong, you know, Mandarin accent or strong Hindi accent is super strong, you as a Canadian also have a really strong accent to them. (laughs) So I would highly recommend all of uh, your transactions, you make sure whenever you're having a conversation, slow down your speech. Mm -hmm. Because it's not the accent necessarily that's really difficult to understand. But when they use the accent in the normal tone and normal speaking, that's when it gets difficult to understand. So people will usually mirror tone intonation, image. So if you start to speak slowly, they will start to speak slowly, and then you won't have the issue with accents. When it comes to phone interaction, this becomes mm. much harder, right? Yeah, because now you, <laughs> exactly, because you don't have the, the, you don't have the visible now. So now you're only working with the audio. Mm-hmm. So a, a little trick, because recognize too, a lot of collectivists want to keep, we call it saving face. So the concept of saving face means that they don't want to embarrass you, Mm -hmm. but they in turn don't want to embarrass themselves either. So they're probably not going to ask for clarification. So if you were to talk about, you know, a contract that you just sent to them on the phone and they don't understand something, and now you're having a hard time understanding the accent, well, you have a couple of key issues here because a contract is a pretty important piece when, when signing on for a new house. So a really easy tip is just to say, you know, can you just send me a quick summary by email of of this conversation or the question you want to ask? I just want to add it to your file. Well, now you've managed to save face. You've gotten exactly because obviously you're not going to hear an accent when someone's typing, you know, to you. They're going to send you something in written format. A lot of new immigrants, their kids have perfect English. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I used to work in the immigration office, I would pull out crayons and paper for the kids, not recognizing, and a lot of my new immigrants were coming in with stipulations to their visa that they had to open a business in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they'd always bring their kids because of course they didn't have babysitters. And then I'd pull out crayons, you know, I wasn't, I don't even think I was a mom at the time and I'd pull the crayons and the paper thinking I had to keep these kids entertained when in essence they were translating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had that experience parents. too. Yeah. I've definitely had that where there were pretty young children that were helping to explain the contract. Totally. They're explaining the contract and they're, and they're actually doing a lot of the translation. So, you know, we assume that, Oh, you know, we better keep the kids entertained, give them an iPad. But in essence, they're actually doing the full on translation Mm -hmm. for the parents. And again, because they're collectivists, family oriented, they don't think anything of having the kids involved, Mm -hmm. you know, to help them with, you know, a potentially million dollar transaction. They're not really thinking about that as a, as a negative. Mm -hmm. So Tina, that makes me think a little bit about faux pas. How can I best avoid faux pas with people who have a different business etiquette than I do? Some of the biggest faux pas you're going to probably notice is actually on the nonverbal communication side. Mm -hmm. 
So nonverbal is in essence everything that is not verbal. So tone, intonation, eye contact, gestures, smell, silence are the biggest faux pas where you're probably, and I, I don't even want to use the word faux pas. It's just truly cultural misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And instead we want to get to that place of cultural competence and awareness. So small things. So in the Japanese culture, silence is golden. If you say something and there's a lot of pause, they would look at it as something where they're reflecting on what you've said and trying to show you respect by letting you know they've heard what you've said and they're reflecting on that. Our natural inclination in the North American culture is to fill the gap of silence. We're very uncomfortable with filling with silence. And in fact, it's it's very negative because, you know, introverts don't think quickly on their feet, but that doesn't mean they don't have a ton to add to the conversation or add to a board meeting. They just so we don't set people up for success because we're so uncomfortable with silence. So recognize sometimes, you know, it's cultural that it could maybe it's something where in a culture silence is actually considered to be thoughtful and respectful not to speak small things so eye contact eye contact is huge as we think in north america eye if eye contact shows trust it shows competence it shows confidence however in in some cultures especially positions of hierarchy the chinese japanese might actually look at you in the chin Mm-hmm. And if somebody was to look at me in the chin, I would think, okay, what did I eat for supper? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't think, oh my goodness, they're trying to show me respect. Right, it would right make now. us nervous. It would make us nervous. And what happens when you feel nerves? Well, you know, you start your confidence starts to go and you're not as, as um, confident in this transaction or in the relationship. And so it, it starts to go a little bit. So you start to lose that, that deal. In the Middle Eastern culture, uh, a lot of our transactions, you know, I know I meet with clients, I'd never meet them in my home, particularly now with the pandemic, I would be going usually in the past, I'd go to Starbucks, that was sort mm-hmm. of my office. If I was to meet with a client, my guess is a lot of realtors meet at, at Starbucks. A lot of your Middle Eastern clients, uh, depending on where they're coming from, would find it highly offensive if you were to show the bottom of the sole of your foot mm-hmm. in a meeting. So if you're crossing your legs mm-hmm. or even pointing your toe at the client, you've lost the deal without even speaking. And so it's just those cultural nuances and those cultural misunderstandings where you may not even speak and you've already lost a client without even knowing about it. Mm-hmm. I remember that one from travels in, in uh, <laughs> Southeast Asia and Malaysia in particular. It's a big one. Another mm-hmm. huge one is um, even speaking styles. Speaking styles differ all over the world. And we tend to, in Canada, well, I'll ask you, Jolene, do, we, do you think we're more direct or indirect when it comes to our Canadian speaking style? I don't think we're very direct. So when I do this at a conference setting or a workshop setting, I'll have half of the audience say Canadians are very direct. And I'll have half of the audience saying, no, Canadians are very indirect. And I will actually, right? And I'm like, that is such a Canadian answer. We don't even have a stance on that. (laughs) So we actually fall directly in the middle. (laughs) We are indirectly direct. Mm -hmm. Or we're directly indirect. Whereas most countries will actually fall on a spectrum of being either more direct or more indirect. So US, UK, Germany, the Netherlands, very direct. Mm-hmm. in their communication style, which means they're going to use less words. They're going to use less intonation. However, how that can be interpreted if you were a realtor is they're rude, they're aggressive, they're direct, they're off-putting. When in essence, I'm 
might be a, a communication style. Where it gets really com- confusing is with our indirect communicators. So our indirect communicators or people will say, absolutely, I plan on buying that house. When in essence, it's a, oh, I was never planning on buying that house. <laughs> so they'll say yes, but the answer actually was no way. But because of that whole saving of face and keeping group harmony, they're going to say, yeah, absolutely. When in essence, it's no. And so I'd highly recommend not using closed-ended questions. Use as, use as many open-ended questions as you can to gain the information that you need to encourage the relationship to move forward. That's great. Are there any areas of caution or maybe increased sensitivity that I need to be aware of? Like, for example, uh, we're talking about family, finances, um, who might be making the decisions in a transaction. Yeah, Those things require a lot of trust. And I think it takes time to develop that rapport. So what can you tell me about that? So I think, again, it comes down to not making assumptions. Often we assume with certain transactions that it's a a patriarchal society. With many countries, we go into thinking, oh, it's a patriarchal society. Therefore, the man is going to be making the decision about buying the house. Often it's not. It's usually uh, the, the matrons. The females are actually the ones making the final decision on the house. But because of gender disparity in certain countries, we assume it's going to be the man. And in essence, that assumption is probably very damaging because then we start to only speak to the the man when in essence, it's actually the woman that is probably the final decision maker. And, and, you know, honestly, that probably happens in Canadian culture too. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. Let's, let's be honest (laughs) here. So it's, it's usually, but another thing to caution you, or maybe, um, I don't know if caution is the right word, but again, on that gender disparity, you know, we've come far in Canada when it comes to, you know, equal rights for females. We're still not there yet. I'd still say there's, there's a glass ceiling, but in certain countries, it's, it's, it's much, much worse. And we, sometimes you may find that, um, you know, especially I'll give this advice more to the female realtors that they may find some of those challenges worse when dealing with more uh, with cultures that that are more male dominated, uh, or see males and more of an authority figure. And, and, you know, I don't think you're going to change anything so quickly, you you can gain a lot of respect, you can gain a lot of um, the relationship can move forward, you could probably gain the sale. But if you're having a really hard time, often they want to know that you have done your best to get them the best deal or find them the best house. And sometimes you may have to say, you know, I really did. I even went to, you know, the brokerage owner and look, I have, you know, this letter or whatever saying we got you the best deal on blank, blank, blank. And even if the brokerage owner is female, and I know a lot of Calgary female brokerage owners are fantastic. However, they even might have to sign their name just with an initial and a last name, because that's a little workaround around it, because you still want to make sure that the, the sale is moving forward. You don't want the fact your gender to get in the way, but you need to find a little workaround that sort of a little quick and easy tip to, to get around that piece. But with that being said, you know, I know I've had to travel a lot internationally into countries where women weren't considered equal whatsoever. But you know, with time and with people seeing what you can do, 
that respect comes. But, you know, honestly, I feel there is a gender bias, even in North America, that women have to prove themselves, whereas sometimes men have respect until it's lost. So that that bias exists anywhere, but it's a little bit more prevalent in certain countries. That's a great tip. That's one that I, I've used, um, you know, frequently is um, when I kind of feel like I maybe have, have reached um, as, as much as I think that I might be able to do, but saying to my client, let me go and talk to my broker and see if exactly. there's something else that they can do. And exactly. Usually it's not any different than, than what I, than what you know, I can, I've already done. Yeah. Um, but, but sometimes I think just that extra step can be really reassuring for people. And it may not be a gender issue. Recognize too, we are not as hierarchical in Canada as other countries. Other countries are very hierarchical in nature. You may be a supervisor in a firm, but you will ask your, you know, EA even though you're sitting right beside the photocopier, you will ask someone to do those photocopies for you simply because it's a much more hierarchical country. Whereas in, in Canada, we tend to be quite a bit more lateral. And it's even dependent on firm. You might have some hierarchical uh, organizations in Canada, and some are very flat. You know, you might have some where you roll up your sleeves, there wouldn't be much differentiation between the boss and, and colleagues, and some are incredibly hierarchical. But in in other countries, it might be very hierarchical. And that's a piece, too, that you need to recognize that the the business is very different dependent on the country. That's great. Thanks, Tina. So moving maybe more into advertising and and trying to um, open up new opportunities with different communities. Um, I'm wondering, is it appropriate to advertise in a language that I don't speak or um, to do targeted advertising to a specific ethnic community that I'm not a member of? Totally. But I don't even know. uh, Yes, you can. I'm not a big believer of spending. I mean, I have my own business and I look at market. My marketing dollars are important to me. And absolutely, you can do advertising in local, um, you know, association, uh, newsletters and, and newspapers, wherever you might, but you know, where you might make more impact is, you know, going to those community dinners, which mm. is going to cost you a lot less than the advertising. <laughs> That's true. Right. But and you'd have a great meal. You'd have a fantastic meal and uh, a nice, you know, when people I think respond more to seeing you and seeing mm-hmm. that you care about that community. And sometimes it's just showing up rather than putting the dollars towards getting, because recognize too, there is a big difference between cognitive trust and effective trust. Mm-hmm. So cognitive trust is what we focus on in North America, meaning our credentials, how long we've been in the real estate industry, how many homes we've sold. And we tend to go under the concept of work then play. So we are going to do all our work first and then we're going to go for a beer. In most other parts of the world, they work off effective trust, meaning that they're going to go for the beer first or the vodka or whatever it might be, get to know you over lunch, get to know you over supper. This might go on till maybe 9, 10 p.m. We as North Americans are tired, going to bed. They're ready to now start looking at the work piece. (laughs) So the time component, they, they look more at the time that you're going to put into that relationship. They're going to look more at the authenticity of the relationship. Sharing bread, breaking bread together is going to have a 
probably more impact than putting an advertisement in a, in a news newspaper. You can do both, uh, you know, definitely. You can look at it a few different pieces, but if you really want to grow those relationships, I had a fantastic, um, one of my favorite clients to date. I mean, I, I do speak with so many different sectors all over the country and, and most of my work is on the corporate side. So a lot of professional services, accounting, et cetera, IT, whatever it might be, healthcare, but one of my favorite clients was and is to this day, the Alberta Goat Breeders Association. <laughs> <laughs> the Alberta Goat Breeders Association has, has brought me in repeatedly as a keynote speaker because they recognized to sell their product, they needed to go directly to the consumer. And how do you learn how to go directly to the consumer than to bring someone in to teach them about cultural differences? And so now the funny part is, you know, it was a basic thing, but they needed to learn, okay, when we market goat, who eats it? Why are they eating it? Well, usually it's for celebration. So in it, like we in Canada, we might look at Thanksgiving, and they're looking at, um, you know, eaters, you know, so they might be looking at a different tradition to celebrate when they're actually using the goat. So what was interesting was, and I thought this was awesome, what they did for their conference was they did serve Alberta goat and they actually had a five-star uh, chef come in and prepare the goat. But then what they did was they invited the entire community to the dinner, which was brilliant. Like they didn't just keep it to their members, they kept it to everyone so that everyone could try this, you know, goat that had gone not just like to two different suppliers because you know obviously they cut out two different middlemen to get to this amazing product and so that piece that that just that dinner alone created so many relationships for people that are very long-standing and so that's why I'm like sure you can look at the advertising piece and shelling out dollars and getting your translators to do that for you which is going to cost a lot of money or you know, maybe go attend an event that that celebrates that sure. culture. You might just, go much farther. Just show up. Just yeah, show up. That's a great story, Tina. <laughs> just Thanks show up. for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that made me think a little bit about some other cultural differences with the way that people might understand um, the the banking system and the confidence that people might have about uh, arranging mortgages. Um, you know, or how our contracts work and the comfort level that people have working with, you know, lawyers or other service providers or, or some of the perceived conflicts of interest that might um, occur in a real estate transaction. Can you share anything about that? Yeah. So that's a great question. So we get stuck when we're negotiating. We always think we're negotiating on money. So in the Chinese culture, there is a term called guangxie. Guangxie actually means relationship collateral. So you as a realtor, you don't always have to negotiate on money. You can negotiate on your guangxie, meaning do you have a banker that you trust and you send all your clients to? Do you have a mortgage broker? Do you have a lawyer? Do you have a painter? Do you have relationship collateral that you can offer? Because that is going to go very far towards the building of the relationship with your clients because it's all relationship based. Remember our collectivists are relationship oriented. So anyone you can connect them to where you have trust is going to help them and help you build that relationship. The other thing to really understand is the banking system, policing system, even the hospitals. They're not the same. 
And so we kind of complain a lot in Canada, you know, we'll complain about our healthcare system, et cetera. But compared to other countries where you will not get seen or get the surgery needed unless you're willing to pay thousands upon thousands, almost bankrupting yourself to be able to go to the hospital, police, you know, and unfortunately, in some countries are very well known for being corrupt. So at the banking system, you know, asking someone to sign on for a mortgage is really scary for someone that's come from a corrupt country. So just coming in from that understanding that because you're coming in thinking, oh, just sign the contract, no biggie. It is a huge deal when you're coming from a country that is so corrupt that you couldn't trust anybody. So now you're saying, yeah, go see Wally at the bank. No issues. You can sign on for a mortgage. That's a pretty (laughs) terrifying concept. Anything that you can do, I don't like to use the word hand-holding, but I will say, uh, you know, we have a lot of university students that come internationally from different parts of the country, and it's a huge part of our universities to fiscally remain responsible and fiscally remain um, prudent because they bring in all these international students. And a lot of them complain about how much service, lack of a better word, they received upon arrival because they might be told, you know what, there's the cafeteria and that's when it opens. And they leave them at that without realizing they have never experienced winter in their lives. They've just arrived from a 20 hour flight. Now they came, they arrived in the dark. They didn't get up for their class because they didn't realize like it's still dark. And so they slept through it and now they can't even eat a meal. And if they were in their home countries, what would have happened was, you know, maybe a fellow student would have come to pick them up. Mm -hmm. They would have taken them to the cafeteria. They would have taught them how to order the food. And then they would have made sure they could have got to the class. So I think realtors need to understand that there might be pieces, you know, sometimes we do our jobs really well. And we think there's no way we could possibly improve upon that. But recognize even the most basics of basics, you know, taking them physically to the bank. Don't just give them the address. Mm -hmm. Making Making the introduction, making the introduction to the lawyer. That type of service is going to go like wildfire through the community of referrals that you're going to be getting. So Mm -hmm. those pieces, when I was in the immigration office, my reputation was very well known before any of my clients met me because, and they all knew me as Miss Tina, Miss Tina in the, um, in the Korean community because of the service I had provided to the Korean community before they even saw me. So the reputation was pretty strong before they, I even ever had to meet anybody. And that's how you want to start to do business in this, in this area. Those are some great ideas. It's just taking what we are already doing a little bit further. We were already showing that we're caring about our clients with that relationship collateral that you talked about and and having those referrals and making those introductions, but just sort of taking that one step further and making sure that people get from, um, you know, point A to point B to point C um, through the whole transaction. That's great to hear that, that that would really enhance their service experience. Totally. And it's so basic. It's so easy. Yeah, it is. And fun. It's gratifying, isn't it? Like to spend time with people, um, you know, in, in that way. I, I really enjoyed that in my real estate experience to be able to, you know, walk with people through the, the entire transaction. And, and I, I do find that, um, you know, that's fun and it's a great way to get to know them. So. 
Well, and also they will, now you're going to be invited to birthday parties. You're going to be invited (laughs) (laughs) to dinners because they really do look at that as, okay, well now you're my friend. Uh, You're not just a client. You're now part of their community. You're part of their family. And, and also some uh, realtors I've noticed, you know, if they're offered tea or if they're offered a meal or if they're offered, they'll say, oh no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Cause we think we're putting people off, Mm -hmm. you know, um, always take the meal, always Mm -hmm. take the meal, take anything offered. It's definitely a symbolic gesture of, of giving and gratitude. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to take everything that's offered to you. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great opportunities. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun, Tina. Thank you for (laughs) uh, questions and for giving me some more good things to think about. More than welcome. My pleasure. Thank you to Tina and Jolene for their time. And we hope to see you the next time we are in your area.